here we are at 9.54 on Wednesday night. David Moyes has achieved the impossible. Manchester United are through to the next round of the Champions League. How are you feeling right now? Well, the impossible being the promise that Shinji Gigawa would play. He's definitely going to play uh, and didn't make it off the bench. Another impossible victory from... Uh, Moisey boy there. No, I'm I'm jesting. A very good performance from United against Olympiacos. There, there are mitigating circumstances, of course. You know, one of the worst away performances at Old Trafford for some time. Olympiacos actually had more of the ball and created more chances than United and managed to blow them all. But uh, Robin van Persie's hat-trick was enough. I wouldn't call it a great European night because you'd actually have to beat some decent opposition. But uh, in the context, a a great result for United. <laughs> your your uh, your grumpiness knows no bounds, does it? Because it sort of is a great European night, even though the uh, the opposition were terrible. Just because it comes on the back of such sort of bleak performances from United. There was a lot of hope kicking about because there always is with football, but not very many fans were confident that United would be able to keep a clean sheet. Although I do have to agree with you in the sense that United shouldn't have kept a clean sheet, really. Olympiakos uh, really did not make the best of their chances. And when they did make the best of their chances, the man for the big occasion was equal to it. David De Gea with a magnificent man of the match performance, I thought. Yes, uh, outstanding double save. Uh, in the second half to keep United in it and generally commanding around the box, very confident from David De Gea. Uh, Olympiacos, 13 shots on goal, only six, uh, or no, in fact, three on target. Six of them from inside the box, though, and so what I was saying about wasting chances, uh, these weren't long-range shots. Uh, they actually created some very good chances, some of which uh, De Gea saved, some of which were completely wasted, but I suppose that's what happens when you sell your top goal scorer to Fulham. What do you... Uh, what do you make of the, the shape of the team? Because this is an interesting one. Back to a, what looked like much more traditional shape after Sunday's attempt at uh, playing a narrow formation was completely undone by Liverpool's much better narrow formation. Uh, more more of a classic 4-4-2 from United against Olympiacos. Uh, yeah, very much. And the thing is, it worked because of certain key factors. First of all, Danny Welbeck was outstanding on the left wing. Uh, I know I am entirely blinded to his faults as a footballer by my sheer unabiding love for him but I thought he was absolutely magnificent and uh, Antonio Valencia put in a powerhouse performance uh, on the right flank even though he couldn't see and I think one of the one of the keys to the shape is similar to when we played against Leverkusen although that was a less traditional 4-4-2 um, the fact that Ryan Giggs is in central midfield pulling strings controlling things running ting you know he just you play him once every three months and he's magnificent still it's it's hard to imagine but to quote Jamie Redknapp not something I'm comfortable with doing uh, Michael Carrick played better actually no I'm glad to say it wasn't Jamie Redknapp that said this it was Gary Neville so I feel better about it Michael Carrick played much better alongside Giggs than he has done alongside lots of other people because he looked composed and and that that too was really functional and it made the shape work and also Olympiacos didn't take advantage of the times when it it sort of fell apart whenever it failed to sort of run back quickly enough. They also put no pressure on United in central midfield, not, not a team that presses at all. And, and that's why uh, Moyes was able to play that too in midfield. Yes, I agree, Michael Carrick was a little bit better. Couldn't get much worse than uh, some of his recent performances. And certainly Ryan Giggs at 40 and 41 later this year was far more dynamic than Maro and Fellaini. 
But, you know, naturally you get that with a 40-year-old, obviously. Yeah, I mean, he's just a special case, isn't he? And it really did look tonight like you're thinking, well, let's just give him another year, shall we? He can, you know, he can play once every every four months or whatever it is that he needs to do to come on and be like that. What did you make of the shape? I mean, were you surprised that he went properly 4 4 not really. Uh, I, I think Moyes defaults to what he knows best, and, and this is what he knows best, of course. I suppose I wasn't necessarily sure that those exact personnel would play. I, I did think Fellaini would probably keep his place. Uh, he didn't. Um, good job, too, in the end. Uh, I thought Valencia might play. Uh, he did. Uh, and uh, down the left, uh, Welbeck was, uh, I suppose, a surprise pick there. There are many other options, not least that Moyes had told Shinji Gigawa he would be playing. Uh, sort of. Uh, so, yeah, a, a little surprise. But, you know, all those things actually worked for, for Moyes in the end. Valencia, real Trojan performance there on the right wing, especially after he'd taken a Rocky Balboa in the face. Welbeck, bags of energy, uh, some quality as well. Nice first touch, bringing people into the game. Uh, looked a threat at times, although uh, he'll be grateful that he was offside for that one he missed, where it was an open goal. Three yards out. Giggs pulling the strings in midfield. Still got all that quality on the ball. Rooney running around like the headless chicken he uh, sometimes does. Uh, I suppose people call that a great performance. I actually thought the quality on the ball was pretty average from Rooney. Very average, in fact. But he ran around a lot and made tackles. Uh, and uh, three shots, three goals from uh, RVP. That's, uh, that's what you expect from the man. Absolutely. I have to disagree about Rooney. Obviously not. A particular Rooney fanboy and I thought in the first half what you just said is pretty much exactly accurate but actually his performance on the ball increased a lot in the second half made a couple of really dangerous runs was much more tidy with his passing so I, I did think he kind of grew into the game on the ball and, and in the first half he did make a very telling contribution with his running around and also with his fine assist for uh, Van Persie nice to see the two of them linking up yeah, actually uh, passed each other at least mm, three or four times today. Yeah. Uh, really 75% pass completion, so I, I think I'm probably right in saying he was a little bit wasteful with the ball. Uh, and and a, lot, a lot of that's to do with the fact that he he, uh, he tries to play the Hollywood ball too often. I think that's uh, what he has done as his, uh, his game has deteriorated over the years. But look, he keeps putting in a shift and that's what United needed. I mean, he went deeper and deeper and deeper and... Uh, basically made a three in midfield for much of the second half and and uh, gave United plenty of uh, work rate and energy in there and and that was important in the end I think to the result. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and as I say, I wasn't I wasn't disagreeing about his overall performance, but I thought his his performance in the second half was uh, was considerably better than his than his first half performance. But yeah, so uh, all in all, absolute tonic for David Moyes because. After the Liverpool game, it started to feel real, didn't it? The uh, the incredible outside bet that David Moyes would not survive his first season in charge, which would have been so unlikely at the beginning of the season, looked like it might be coming to pass. I mean, there are no positives from that Liverpool game whatsoever, except it's over. <laughs> it's not going to happen again. Well, not this season, at least. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, no, you're right. No positives whatsoever. Uh, a, a performance as abject as United's performance in the first league in uh, in Greece, and and that was one of the worst performances I'd seen in the last ten years. And and there have been some terrible performances and results under Ferguson, of course. You know, uh, it always felt like a one-off. And and the thing that made the Liverpool result the worst, I think, 
is is that it didn't feel like a one-off. It felt like a culmination of many, many negative factors around the team and the club this season. And uh, just about as bad as it gets, uh, not only because it was Liverpool, but it looked like the players had given up too. And uh, in fact, take a look at Moyes' face halfway through that game. It looked like he'd given up too. Yeah, I mean, that 3-0 win over Olympiacos of course puts a shine on the week many people tweeting that they were excited to hear us talk about the Liverpool game as a sort of catharsis and I think it is not to be unnecessarily negative about the whole situation but I do think it is worth delivering the excoriating analysis that they deserve because it was a truly abysmal performance when I don't know about you but when I saw the lineup I was pretty happy with that I thought that was fairly bold from Moyes he was really clearly going for it but there's a difference between starting 11 and tactical approach right and the tactical approach appeared to be absolutely all over the place the huge over-reliance on Rooney the complete surrender of impetus in midfield Fellaini looked great against West Bromwich Albion he did not look great at all against Liverpool and you don't pay 27 million pounds for a player who looks good against West Bromwich Albion right Liverpool weren't even that good you know they were functional but they didn't have to be at their best to brush United aside like they weren't even there and lots of people complaining that the players weren't trying and I I actually thought in the first half the players did look really up for it they just looked like they didn't know what to do and and as soon as that penalty happened at the beginning of the second half Every single United head just dropped and, you know, it's happened a lot of times this season, but never more vividly where you think, imagine if that was Fergie. You you could not imagine the players dropping. Of course, neither could you imagine Liverpool getting three penalties at Old Trafford if it was Fergie, but still. Well, um, yeah, maybe, although I, I'm not sure Fergie has anything to do with it, uh, other than um, he's not picking the team or the tactics. Look, the, the crucial thing about that game was that uh, Moyes did not spot what everyone else spotted about 30 seconds into the game that Liverpool outnumbered United in midfield and just passed in triangles around Fellaini and Carrick, who are not dynamic enough to make up that difference. It was so blatantly obvious and and Liverpool very easily outmaneuvered United in that part of the field. Uh, In the aftermath, Steven Gerrard said they completely dominated midfield. Completely right as well. I hate to agree with Gerrard, but uh, they they so dominated that part of the pitch that, frankly, I thought 3-0 was... uh, not very flattering on Liverpool's dominance of the game. And, and, and the thing about Fellaini is, and I know I've been pretty negative about him all along, but I'm afraid this is just an honest assessment. I don't have an agenda here, but I pick any of Liverpool's midfielders over him, any of them, including Jordan Henderson, who's, uh, who's had a very, very good season and was just far too good for Fellaini and Carrick in that game. And as a result, Liverpool were able to create very good chances uh, didn't take them all. Uh, yes, they got three penalties, but uh, frankly, that's because they were getting into the box in dangerous situations all of the time. Uh, and United were a complete calamity defensively. Yeah, absolutely. And the penalties were indicative of the defensive calamity. Lots of debate about whether Sturridge's was a penalty. I think it probably was. But anyway, who cares? Who cares? Because they should have had another one immediately after their third one, right? When Carrick clattered into one of them. I can't remember who. Right. And Fellaini took out Suarez in the first half too. Yeah, so I'm not sure I've ever seen a a match that had five penalties, but Liverpool could have had uh, a lot of complaints about Sturridge, of course, because he did dive, but uh, uh, Vidic came flying in. And and frankly, referees have been told, and I think I'm right in saying this, that uh, if if a player has to avoid a challenge in order to not get taken out, because he certainly would have been taken out, 
then uh, then it's a foul too. So uh, I think that was probably a correct decision. Uh, leave it out uh, to you uh, qualified referees to correct me on that one if I'm wrong, but uh, I don't think I am. Uh, and the other ones were, were fair dues on the penalty stakes there. So uh, frankly... Uh, Liverpool just uh, very, very good value for their win and uh, there wasn't a lot we could complain about other than uh, the tactics, uh, the approach, the negativity, uh, the effort and the work rate, uh, the quality on the ball. And I suppose the only upside was uh, United's support, which was fantastic, of course, although it does get to the point when you're singing 20 times, 20 times over and over against Liverpool that you might be living in the past just a little bit. Oh, I can't believe we've got to bring this up. United fans get very upset if you ever talk about what they sing about Liverpool and they always go, yeah, but what about them? And of course, Liverpool fans were doing airplane signs and singing, singing Munich songs as they do. United's defence all these years about singing murderers and we want it three times without killing one, all that has always been, it's about Heisel, as if that makes it great, you know, but whatever. That's always been the line of defence. <laughs> the sun was right, murderers. The first time it got an airing, uh, I think United might have been 1-0 down at that point. Just on the TV, you know, I wasn't there. So, you know, anyone that wants to discount my opinion because I wasn't there, that's fine. But it sounded like the, the chance started up, then it was pretty quickly silenced by the people around it. There was lots of sort of almost whistling, almost booing sound that came out after that. Uh, it, it, please do correct me if that didn't happen, but that's what seemed to happen. Later on in the game, however, when we were losing, just got a full airing, as far as I could tell. The sun was right, murderers. If you think that's about Heisel, and you're singing that, thinking in your head that that's about Heisel, you might want to think again, because the sun was right is about Hillsborough. And the sun was wrong. And it's pathetic to use points going like that. Anyway, stupid high-minded moral lecture over. The 20 times thing was amazing. It was like an amazing, defiant thing. And you could say it's living in the past. But the one thing that, that hasn't happened too often this season, there hasn't been the kind of booing at home of the poor performances. And, and the one thing I really liked about that 20 times chant is it felt like an appreciation of what the fans have seen in the past. You know, it felt like we know we've been spoiled as Man United fans. We've seen title after title after title. We've seen Liverpool knocked off the per- their perch in our lifetime. And that's something worth crowing about. Anyway, rant over. Yes, well, um, yeah, fair enough. And uh, it was fantastic support, uh, whether whether that's living in the past or not. Uh, and and uh, well, one, one thing that's important to remember about that, though, this was not sung about David Moyes, right? And I think there's something changed there where... United were celebrating the team and supporting the team. Uh, and it was almost as if to say that um, you can take our support of the team for granted. Uh, whatever happens on the pitch, uh, United fans will support the team. Uh, and that's always been the way uh, for as long as I've been a United fan, you know, more than 30 years now. Uh, that's always been the way. But David Moyes can't take the support for granted because it was withdrawn from him during that game, and uh, which is significant, I think. And, you know, he'll get a bump from the Olympiacos uh, performance and result, of course, but it might not be for very long because there's the uh, away match at uh, West Ham and then, of course, the derby coming up and then uh, United versus Bayern or Real or or Barcelona to come, and a good spanking. Um, so, uh, you know, Moyes will be defiant uh, uh, in this week because he'll say there was a, a response after the Liverpool game 
Uh, he'll say my players are fantastic and, and all of this kind of stuff and he'll feel very good about it. But we know exactly what United's uh, level of quality is this season and the approach has been. And I think there'll be more poor results to come during the season and United fans will have to be uh, defiant again, I believe, uh, before the summer comes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, this has been the season of false dawns, hasn't it? And there's every chance that we're going to get more performances like we got against Liverpool. That, that Olympiacos game is a is a, a sticking plaster over a gaping wound, but a, a beautiful sticking plaster it was. So after the Liverpool game, the first proper rumblings started. Um, there's been lots of little stuff going on about you know, behind the scenes and we all we all think we know that Rio hates David Moyes and all that kind of stuff and Carrick seems to have fallen out with him. Vidic obviously has fallen out with him. And then in the aftermath of uh, Liverpool comes the red issue stuff that starts leaking where Ryan Giggs is apparently not attending coaches' meetings because what's the point? He never listens. And uh, Giggs is storming off after two-hour defensive training sessions saying we're Manchester United, for goodness sake slightly paraphrase Rio Ferdinand very annoyed by uh, David Moyes apparently mentioning Phil Jagielka in training telling Rio what Jagielka would have done in a certain uh, situation giving a whole new meaning to WWJD so then after that all that stuff which may or may not be true right any any insight Ed on whether that's true or not I believe it is not true from I've had this confirmed by two sources now you know always good to double source this uh, and uh, Reddit in fact pulled the story from the sanctuary uh, which is the, the private forum stating that the player in question has a, a reputation of being litigious interesting that one <laughs> uh, yeah no comment um, uh, don't say us Ryan uh, so, yeah, uh, it doesn't seem like at least that bit about uh, Giggs confronting Moyes in the dressing room and uh, and uh, not turning up for training sessions and stuff like that isn't quite right. Uh, there's more to it than that. But on the wider piece around many players being unhappy, this is true. You know, there's, it seems to be there are camps of happiness and unhappiness and a few of the younger players in the middle. And uh, Moyes obviously has Rooney on his side and Fellaini appears to still have Patrice Evra on his side. Uh, Evra was with him in the pre-match press conference ahead of the Olympiacos game doing the tub thumping. Uh, Moyes certainly wasn't able to do it, but Evra did a very good job there. Uh, and in the uh, against column, we know Rio's been leaking left, right and centre. And then off the pitch, uh, he's been leaking... To all the papers, so uh, allegedly, not so allegedly, <laughs> and Van Persie clearly not happy, or at least wasn't before he stuck three in against Olympiacos. So look, you know, factions have have seemingly formed, but uh, the story about Ryan Giggs uh, confronting Moyes doesn't appear to be correct. And uh, as I said, I did double source this one, so I think we can probably put that one to bed. But um, they're definitely. Definitely not as united as uh, as they were last season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then it started to get a bit more serious than that, and the story started to break in the papers about the boardroom and the idea that there are those in the boardroom who are pretty ready to let him go, and sponsors unhappy having spent a fortune to associate their brand with extreme excellence. I, I saw quoted in in one of the papers. That's when it starts to get really messy for Moyes, right? That's when it, it when it starts to affect the business side of practice, and and you start to wonder who that is because you'd think that Edward Wood's gonna dance with the one what brung him, right? He's gonna gonna be the Glazer stooge that he is. Uh, Fergie's gonna defend his man to the hill. Although I have to say, Ferguson's face 
at the end of that Liverpool game. I mean, obviously, every time we've had a bad performance this season, the close-up of Fergie and the crowd's been uh, ever-present, hasn't it? But this was different. This He looked like, oh, I've made a huge mistake. It was a real Joe Bluth moment from uh, from Fergie. He just looked completely disgusted by what he'd seen, really. And, and how could he not? Because those are his players. They're, they're, there's absolutely no way this squad of players should be performing to this level and and i say it once again you can you can apportion blame as a ratio around the place but the majority shareholder in the blame is david Moyes, and it's kind of it's almost not his fault that so much of the blame goes to him because he's just doing his best to adapt but it's it's not going well, is it? Well, no, it's not. And and uh, as you say, the majority of blame for the tide turning this season has to be uh, laid at his door because he's ultimately the man responsible. You know, you do you blame the CEO, right? And uh, in a football sense, the manager's the, the CEO, at least in, uh, in the stuff that happens on the pitch. So, uh, yes, loads of blame there. Of course, there's blame around Ferguson for being the Glazers' stooge for all these years, for under-investing, uh, for le- leaving a squad that had... Uh, too many players aging in too many key positions. I mean, uh, you know, just look at uh, look at Ferdinand, Evra, Carrick, and Giggs, and Van Persie all starting against Olympiacos, all into their thirties with different degrees. There's Vidic, of course, as well, who's off. Uh, three players in the back four will be off, and and complete revision of the squad is is required, and that would have been required anyway, I suspect. You know, at least uh, an acceleration of the evolution, and then you can blame the Glazers for. Uh, restricting spending for so many years which had a cumulative effect on the quality of the squad right but Moyes took a team that had you know won the league by 11 points last season and completely destroyed them and it's not just that is it you know it's the approach uh, the negative percentage football and it, and it very much is percentage football even if it isn't long ball football um, the the really oddball approach to media relations which just feels just feels like the man needs to desperately grow a pair I mean the the uh, post-Liverpool, pre-Olympiacos quotes around will will try maybe to not let them beat us type stuff. And I, he probably didn't even say that, but it feels like he says that every single time, doesn't it? And, and it just creates a, an atmosphere of negativity around David Moyes. Now, to the point you were making, is, is that having an impact in the boardroom? Maybe. I, I don't think so just yet, but it would be remiss, massively remiss of the boardroom not to look at options because it's uh, been so damaging and uh, you know if it continued in this vein towards the uh, final few weeks of the season it would be very difficult for the board not to think about replacing him because it's so damaging sponsors well um, as Ramon Calderon said a few weeks ago it's almost certain that there are contractual clauses in uh, the the commercial contracts that Manchester United have with many of their sponsors that mean that uh, the value will be reduced if they're not in the Champions League because that's where all the exposure is and that's where all these international brands uh, want to be associated with so it will impact on United's bottom line almost certainly and and uh, they might not be happy but they're all tied into a contract so too bad I suppose key one is to look at the stock price and see whether uh, investors uh, believe there's a problem too uh, yeah absolutely many many points there and the boardroom stuff I, I actually think that it is significant that this is the first week that stories have started to run in in a serious fashion it was a little bit after Fulham but this was the this was the first week where it was it was pretty it was pretty openly being discussed you know the, the, the chances of David Moyes' future I mean you you've been pretty bullish on the idea that he's gonna 
definitely get into a good portion of next season, regardless of what happens, basically, from here on out. Um, unless we do hit that 10 league games KPI. We haven't got there. We've only lost we've lost four league games since you said that. If you include the Fulham draw and the Cup losses, then we're at seven. No, eight, I think. And, and I'm getting closer and closer. But you did specifically say league losses, so there you go. Yes. Uh, he's still going to be in a job. Yes, I... I uh... Well, that KPI, of course, was uh, was supposed to be so extreme that it was very unlikely to happen, uh, which it was. I, I can't see United losing six of the nine league games remaining this season. I think that's unlikely, especially actually if you look after, if you look at the uh, the rest of the fixtures. There's Everton away and City at home. Uh, the rest of them, well, Newcastle away, I suppose. Uh, there's quite a lot of dross in there too. Um, and really, it's only Everton and City above United in the table, so it ought to be a decent end to the season. And and of course, uh, the season is pretty much over now. I suppose we uh, we could try and chase down Everton for a Europa League spot. Basically, uh, in the league, it's over. Uh, so maybe the players will relax a little bit, and uh, and some results will come. Maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll see about that. And you know, I guess then then everything hinges on the beginning of next season. But we'll fall off that bridge when we come to it, right? A uh, Liverpool game. Raphael, who should have been sent off, probably the only player to emerge with any credit, and his complete brain freeze for the handball is perhaps explained by the fact that he'd been up almost all night uh, as his new little baby was born the night before that Liverpool game. So yeah, that kind of explains uh, why he was uh, a bit brainless. Although. It is Raphael, so that is always a factor. Yes, I mean, it seems to be, although he had a season of uh, not too many errors last year, didn't he? So, although he's excellent, he is Liverpool, well, you know, in the context. Uh, I, I thought he was United's best player and uh, he's put in some solid performances recently, but that was a very odd handball, very, very odd. He was really good against Olympiacos as well, and it is nice to see him put together two good performances in a row, and, and that is a player that wears his heart fully on his sleeve right he's got passion written all over him that lad uh fully yes and you know he's he wants to win desperately and and sometimes i think that uh makes him do some very strange things so the olympiacos game then which we covered at the beginning of the show really van percy's hat trick was excellent their keeper i'm not sure what he was doing for the free kick but he was clearly felt he was unsighted Mm, not saving, not saving it in the middle of the goal. Yes, very, very odd. Yeah. How were you feeling when Van Persie stepped up to take his penalty? Were you confident? Well, it's hard to be confident because uh, if you take a look back at the Liverpool game, I think he had four shots all off target and some extra ones when he was offside as well. So he's a man uh, not in great form or, or wasn't in great form, and, and certainly that had translated into his lack of movement in recent games. I suppose you don't need to move that far when you're hitting a penalty, uh, which helps doesn't it but it took it very confidently right into the corner very well taken uh, free kick plenty of bend and pace on it should have been saved uh, you know for a decent keeper uh, you save that but I suppose uh, Rodrigo is not yeah David De Gea's understudy until he was booted out of Atletico the final goal uh, well the second goal sorry very rank poor defending in the centre of the pitch there just they just peeled away from one of the defenders and they both ball watched and near the Markle zone and he was able to just tap in Rooney's ball yeah absolutely but that's how you get back confidence right as a striker you start to just score some goals and it all changes and it was really horrible to see him stretch it off mentioned full storms earlier but actually with Van Persie once he starts scoring it doesn't tend to be a full storm so it was really really a shame that he uh he was stretched off and we hope that's not too serious because um, we could do with him in form if we want the rest of the season to at least be fun, couldn't we? 
Yes, well, it looked like an impact injury, an impact into the muscle, so I'd say a dead leg could be the most obvious uh, conclusion to that one. We'll see whether it's worse than that, but it, it wasn't a stretch, so it doesn't look like a torn hamstring or anything, which would be much more serious. Dead leg is a few days out, we'll miss the... West Ham game may miss the City game, depends on how bad the dead leg is, but I suppose if you're taking off, it's uh, it's pretty serious. Yeah, absolutely. So before we look ahead to the games coming up in the rest of the week, should we do a couple of Twitter questions? Uh, indeed, let's do it. It should be fun this week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of these questions came in before the Olympiacos game, so uh, that's that gives them some context there's many 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 along the lines of this one from at Lucas underscore M United uh, M U T D. Do we replace Moyes with Klopp, Simeone or Van Gaal? <laughs> um, ah, yes. Well, I think I've I've said my favourite there. But, uh, of course, uh, Moyes is going to get uh, the summer and another season at United. So this is all uh, academic. Yeah, and Klopp. you mentioned uh, Paul Lambert on Twitter at some point this week. Well, yes. Uh, I, 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 do, I do think there's... A, it's quite a funny thesis thinking that uh, United will suddenly go for a, a risky appointment. Uh, Ferguson's still in the boardroom, so... Um, just look around and find out who's Scottish. Of course, uh, Aston Villa, uh, I think second only, random stat here, to West Ham in terms of the percentage of long balls that they hit. Oh, there you go. Perfect. You would think that there would... I think out of those three, the most likely appointment is Van Gaal, but he's also probably the one I'd want least out of those three because mm. Van Gaal's career is a, a mixed bag, isn't it? It's not a guarantee of success, the appointment of Van Gaal. No, and he's worked at some big, very big clubs and he worked at some small clubs, has a reputation for being quite divisive, of course, uh, but he's an experienced hand and uh, you wonder after the disaster that has been Moyes, if the board was to decide that they needed to go in a new direction, whether they'd go with a, a safe appointment. Of course, Moyes is uh, supposed to be that and hasn't turned out to be it. But Van Gaal has an international reputation. He'd probably get, command plenty of respect from the players. Um, it would be a short-term appointment, uh, no more than three years, I would suspect. Um, uh, Klopp, uh, you know, much more exciting, of course, but but a risk, you know. Man who's uh, only ever worked in Germany, uh, done wonders with Borussia, um, uh, plays his teams play some very attractive football. Uh, he's a big personality. Looks like he's got plenty of confidence, but you know, limited, limited experience at the very top level. Of course, that said, Klopp can't go anywhere, can he, with this side anymore? Uh, Bayern pinch all their best players, and everyone else will pinch what's left. Uh, and and Borussia can't compete. No, absolutely, and and. You know, it's interesting because if you think back to when Ferguson was appointed, Aberdeen was pretty exotic in terms of the sort of parochial nature of football at the time. And football's broadened its horizons enormously since then. And actually, it makes tremendous sense to pick a charismatic, young-ish, successful manager from another country who seems to fit the mould of the kind of person that could become a leader for the long term Klopp would be my dream appointment and of course it might go horribly wrong and also more than anything it seems a long shot that the board would be that sophisticated because who is there on the board who is going to exert a sophisticated nuanced football perspective on this nobody no exactly Ferguson is a lot of things but he's you know 
he does have a narrow-minded quality, Alex Ferguson. I, I think it's <laughs> I think it's fair to say that. I don't know if you know what I mean by that. I don't, uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but there is that kind of. Well, you know, he's how old is he? Seventy-five, seventy, seventy, eight hundred. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. seventy to seventy-two. And um, but of course, you know, he was a man to push for Moyes, so that gives you uh, his perspective on what he expects to get out of a a coach. Um, so yeah, look, you're right on the on the wider point there. There's there's six Glazers. On the board, Ed Woodward, Bobby Charlton, Alex Ferguson, Michael Bullingbrook, um, and Richard Arnold. And uh, not all of them have executive power. Uh, and really, it's going to come down to the Glazers, who have no idea about football. I'm sure they would listen to Ferguson again if it would happen. And, and that's the other thing that tells me that, that Moyes isn't about to get the boot. Um, OK, and talking of which, at Eddie Truly Reds uh, asks, when when did you give up on Moyes? So to the extent that I've given up on him, which is basically I would love the 10% chance that I would estimate that it is that he'll come good to come through. But my kind of 90% giving up on him happened at the Fulham game. I look back this week at my Twitter archive from when he was being appointed when Ferguson left and and I was pretty devastated when Moyes took over and I, I, I'd sort of forgotten that a bit because I really made a, a big conscious effort to think okay well you know Ferguson knows more than I do and let's get behind him and see what see what happens and see how he adapts and all that kind of stuff but it got grimmer and grimmer and grimmer and uh, and that Fulham game it came on on the heels of, of the Stoke performance which it just looked really obvious that what was needed was a change in approach and it never happened and then his response to it was pathetic. So so for me, it was the Fulham game. That that was when I, I thought, well, OK, I'm just going to assume it's not going to work out from here on then and I'm, I'm not going to actively campaign for his removal as Manchester United manager. Not that that would do anything, but, you know, I'm delighted for him this evening. To, to have this success because whatever happens from here I'm glad he had that experience in front of Old Trafford um, you know because he has built some sort of relationship with the fans but yeah the Fulham game depressed the hell out of me and, and, and not really seen anything since then to make me change my mind what about you Ed? Well it's rather presumptuous who, who said I'd given up on him? Oh okay you think he's going to come good do you? <laughs> he's, he's the chosen one well no so look uh, I didn't want him to be appointed I'm on record there so it's it's like this question about whether Moises lost the dressing room and uh, uh, really the true answer to that one is that he never had it right the, the players wanted someone else appointed uh, at least those ones that uh, were confident enough in their own position some of the others uh, didn't want Mourinho appointed because they were worried about it so said reports uh, this week worried that they might get replaced because they weren't good enough uh, which surely he would have done so uh, I guess my take on it is that I, I I was never really with Moyes because I didn't believe he was a good enough manager for United. Mostly, I just didn't like his approach because Everton were a functional percentage football team. So it's hard to give up on him in that I didn't really ever believe in him. Uh, that said, if you're going to make an appointment, you give a, you give a man long enough to uh, really impact both on, on the philosophy of the football, which is dreadful under Moyes, um, and the makeup of the squad to build your own team, which he's not had the opportunity to do for various reasons. Some of it his own fault, much of it Edward Wood's fault. So uh, I guess my position has always been that I thought he should have those three transfer windows in order to do the second part of that equation. That said, I don't believe United will ever play good football under Moyes, ever. Uh, it's uh, He has a, a very um, 
very clear philosophy about how he wants to play. He wants his uh, teams to play enough football to get the ball, out, you know, retain possession and get the ball out wide. And then he wants his men to knock it in. Uh, and it doesn't really matter where it's from. So United are never going to play nice football. Uh, and the other side of that equation, of course, is uh, when he attempts to play a different system, which might look like uh, a team that plays better football, uh, it looks like a mess uh, because I don't think he really knows how to coach it, and uh, we we have you know some evidence for that. Uh, in that his uh, his coaching regime is all about shape, uh, all about space and shape, uh, not really about interplay between the players. So very long rambly answer to say I wasn't really ever with him. I've always kind of felt that he should get uh, enough time to build his own team. Uh, the problem is I don't really believe that that team will ever be that good. So, you know, we'll see in the summer. I, I guess I'll make my judgment then as to whether he should stay or go. I don't think there's a very high percentage that he'll be successful. OK, fair enough. This is <laughs> this is my favourite question of the week from at Benny Hudson uh, saying, will our next manager be Big Sam and will we keep going through Fergie's mates until we hire Eamon Holmes? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, quite yeah. possibly, yes. Um, I would, um, yeah. Uh, I can't imagine a scenario in which Big Sam gets the United job, but if it ever happened, I will camp outside Carrington naked until he gets a sack. <laughs> um, this this is not a question, but from HLDSTDY, he says, MRVP, Mark Robbins Van Persie. <laughs> <laughs> that's really tickled me that has I, I, I'm not sure that's the case because uh, uh, you know, look at the list of um, quarter finalists in the European Cup I, if, if I was to make an objective assessment of the quality of each of the sides I'd probably put United 8th out of 8th and the 7th I might put as Borussia Dortmund who actually aren't playing that well this season and uh, there's some good players in that side yeah absolutely um, at Sajal Man United says whom do you love more Danny Welbeck or David De Gea I can't decide for myself Wow, it's like asking me to pick between... I haven't got any kids, but if I had two kids, it'd be like asking me to pick between my two children for which one's favourite. Um, mm. uh, you're, you're not allowed to sit on the fence. This is, uh, is Ansorge's choice. All right, well, if I've got to pick one of them who I love more, I've got to pick Danny. But uh, After that double save that yeah, the hair pulled off yeah. against Olympiakos. Shame on you. Shame on you. And my love for Danny... My love for Danny Welbeck is not a rational thing. It's not based on, no. you know, merits. He's a local lad. No, that's very true, and there's a lot to love about Danny. But uh, if I had to pick a player, it would be De Gea, because uh, he's world-class, and, and uh, I'm afraid Welbeck is not. Well, I mean, yeah, if the question was, out of these two players, who do you keep at Man United? Then, you know, like if you guarantee one of them plays his whole career at United, I have to pick De Gea. But I wouldn't want to, <laughs> not not in my heart. Danny Welbeck is the player I would m- I most like to see doing good stuff on the pitch. He was brilliant again. I mean, you're right about that. The, it was a good job he was offside, but he, he was just a different class. He he just does so much right. He makes so much positive impact. Anyway, final Twitter question of the week at Anton Alfie, friend of the rank cast, says, "Did Moyes ask you to listen to any Everton podcasts this week?" <laughs> No, I don't think I could. Uh, I don't think I could stand the high-pitched dolphin squeaking for an hour. So no, we haven't uh, had to listen to WWJD radio this week. So on to football matches, and Big Sam was mentioned earlier. And we travel down to Fergie's other bezzy mate. I don't know how it's possible. I mean, we have been better away from home, and we've been doing all like you know, we beat Palace, we beat West Brom. 
West Ham are probably a bit more of a difficult opposition than them, but not by much, right? Well, no, they're not having a good season, clearly. Uh, although, you know, it's, it's super, super tight down the bottom. So as it stands, they are 12th, but uh, they could drop into the the bottom four or five very, very easily with a couple of bad results. And they don't play nice football, but they haven't played nice football for quite some time. They have a very mixed bag of results, you know, a couple of thrashings at Forest and City back in January. And mixed results recently, you know, lost at Stoke, lost at Everton, uh, amazingly beat Southampton. Southampton playing some nice football this season. So, you know, you're not quite sure what you'll get there. They're, uh, they're OK at home. United have a very good record away from home. In fact, the third best record in the Premier League away from home. Shocking, really. Uh, scored way more goals and way more victories and way more points. And only scored 18 goals at home uh, in the Premier League this season, which is the same as Fulham, who are bottom, uh, which is a real disgrace, really. Uh, uh, the pressure's off away from home, I guess, or, or Moy's uh, kind of reactive football works better on the road. And, and so, you know, all of that would point to United putting in a and a half-decent performance. There's got to be a good chance of United winning this game. Yeah, absolutely. And a huge lift from the Olympiacos game because the atmosphere, the whole thing, the fact that it's, you know, it's not just that we, we won, but we, we beat someone that we had to beat 3-0, 3-0, which is a fairly big ask, even if it is Olympiacos. So you would imagine that some of some of that would carry over. The one thing the Liverpool game really did raise the spectre of is the stuff that you said uh, uh, when we signed Juan Mata, and I, I, I couldn't believe that you <laughs> raised a, a point of anything less than joy uh, when, when it happened, but you were right to because... He does not know what to do with one matter, does he? Hasn't got a clue. Hasn't got a clue and uh, played very narrow formation against Liverpool with uh, Yanazai. Well, lopsided formation, I suppose. Yanazai hugging the touchline and, and Mata coming inside and, and talk about players in other players' zones. They're all over each other, but uh, that's Rooney and, and Mata all in the wrong place all of the time. Uh, and then, of course, Van Persie coming back to play nine and a half. And, they're, you know, they're basically... Uh, throwing an orgy in the middle of the pitch. Unfortunately, uh, they're all on top of each other. Matter doesn't look happy there. Uh, Matter's reduced to knocking aimless passes across the pitch. So many long passes just from side to side to side. Uh, and not just Matter there. But uh, yeah, he doesn't know what to do with him. And it's it's amazing, really, because uh, he's got Rooney, he's got Matter, he's got Kagawa, and he's got Yanazai. Would probably all like to play just off the main striker. And then you've got... Uh, David Moyes who wants to play 80% of his football in wide areas you can't square that circle you just can't and so what happens is either he sacrifices some of those players and plays in a a pretty rigid formation that he'd like to play or he plays in a much more flexible way but he loses all the defensive shape that he'd like so yeah real problem for Moyes Uh, it doesn't look like he has any answers at the moment Uh, no absolutely and and the Olympiacos game of course he was empowered by not having Mata to to choose from and as you say he sort of promised Kagawa a game and he he certainly didn't get one Uh, I suspect we might see him against West Ham but you can't see him in a starting 11 can you you know because it just has been miles away from it Uh, it's very ups I know people get annoyed when you start to say that he's misusing Kagawa because they go oh yeah Kagawa hasn't proved himself when he's got the chance but to me every time he plays not literally every time but a good number of the times he plays he looks like he could do magical things if we we structured the team around him but we're never going to under Moyes obviously no well um, I, I'm afraid the same assessment could be made of Juan Mata you know we, fantastic fantastic player 
uh, hardly putting in stellar performances because he's being misused and and Yanazai hasn't uh, played well for a number of weeks either look so much firepower so much creativity uh, should be way way more goals uh, United should be scoring 18 goals in three games not uh, 12 or, or whatever it's been in terms of the you know, number of home games uh, probably more than that it's probably like 13 or 14 isn't it yeah. so just over a goal a game at home is a disgrace given the attacking uh, riches at his at his uh, beck and call and and uh, you don't see it changing though and um, this is it's one of the problems that Moyes really does have to sort out what the attacking shape should be and what the impact is on the defensive shape and how he manages to you know, pull these two things together. It doesn't look like he has an answer. So it'll be very interesting to see what approach he takes against West Ham, whether he takes something out of the Olympiacos game and thinks oh, I'll go back to some sort of 4-4-2 and he'll definitely have a huge mind on Tuesday night's game. And talking of Tuesday night's game... Long-time listeners to the Rantcast will know that we do indeed have a City fan uh, amongst our loyal listener base. My favourite City fan in the world, the the wonderful Rob Pollard. Uh, and uh, I had the very great pleasure of talking to Rob to ask him a little bit about City's season and how he sees the derby going. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the Rantcast's number one Manchester City supporting fan, uh, Rob Pollard, better known to Rank Cars listeners as At Typical City. Rob, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Um, I'm excellent. It's all wine and roses at Manchester United now. It's all, it's all turn around. We're, we're back on top. <laughs> um, so uh, what have you made of City season so far, Rob? Um, it, yeah, it's been great, really, on the whole. The football that we've played at times has been really nice to watch and... And whatnot, although that has sort of subsided a little bit, really. I mean, the last time we, we played really well was the end of January, I think, when we went to Spurs and won 5 1. And since then, it has been a little bit stuttering, uh, certainly from the forwards. Negredo's kind of his form has plummeted, and Jekko is his usual inconsistent and lazy self, and Aguero has been injured, and Jovetic has been injured. So it has caused us a few problems. But prior to that, I think. Uh, it's the best football I've seen since I've been a City fan and you know we've won a trophy already and we've still got a, a, a fair chance at, at another one so uh, yeah I'd say it's been it's been a great season for us um, so a question that I always have and it, it might sound like a snarky question but I really don't mean it snarkily at all is how much does the fact that the success was sort of injected straight into the veins of the club via the medium of money how much does that affect your enjoyment of it or is it all just like well it's happening so we might as well enjoy it sort of thing no I mean don't get me wrong I mean I think any right thinking City fan realises that we got very lucky uh, and that we won the lottery almost you know that was that's kind of how it feels but in terms of day-to-day enjoyment it's not in your mind you know like take for example the extreme example like the QPR game when we won the league you're not jumping up and down and, and really enjoying it, but in the back of your mind, it's taken away from because you're thinking, well, we had a load of cash injected in. Do you know what I mean? It's just sort of, I don't know, when I sit down and think about it, I think, yeah, we're really lucky. And, you know, it, obviously it's not the most organic way of doing things or, uh, or whatever, you know, that's the word people like to use, especially, particularly Arsenal fans. But at the same time, no, I don't, it, it certainly doesn't detract from my enjoyment. I enjoyed QPR as much as I enjoyed 
Wembley in '99 when we when we beat Gillingham on penalties. They were both as exhilarating as each other, uh, regardless of of the situation. Really, yeah. We should have said this beforehand, but there's a ground rule on this show. I, I don't know what game you're talking about. You keep referencing some QPR game. I'm, oh, I'm not sure. Are we not, not allowed? Sure I know what you mean. Are we not <laughs> just, allowed to mention that on here? It, it's not so much that you're not allowed to mention it as I just don't know what you're talking about. Oh right, okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, what do you think of Pellegrini? Uh, looking at it from the outside, he's, he seems to be doing a pretty terrific job. Yeah, I really like him. I mean, there's a, I wrote a thing, I wrote a piece for the Mirror recently talking about there's there is a section of our support that have never really taken to him, and I think that some of the recent difficulties that we've had like the 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 FA Cup defeat to Wigan and getting knocked out of the Champions League and whatnot I started to feel that that was fueling them a little bit I mean the reason that they never took to him was because they had a strong romantic view of the last manager because he ended City's wait for a trophy and whatnot which is all really nice you know I mean I love Mancini as well and that's great but they but he had to go you know I think that he he had sort of alienated and um, annoyed everybody in in the squad to the point where very few players actually liked him anymore. And I've spoken to some of the staff at the club, and they certainly didn't enjoy working for him. So he had to go. Um, but on the whole, my my view of Pellegrini is that he's been he's been absolutely fantastic. He's made errors. I mean, I think that the the the, the Mathgate incident in Bayern Munich, where he didn't know how many goals we needed to top the group, is, was was criminal, really. Uh, he got away with that at the time, though, because we were playing so well. We were in the midst of a, an, an amazing run. I think we went on a 20-game unbeaten run and we were just scoring goals for fun. So he would have seemed a little bit, you know, it would have seemed a little bit daft to be criticising him. But when you look back on that in the cold light of day, I think that was like that was a, a, a really negligent thing to do. Uh, and then there's been a couple of other things as well, like when Bayern Munich turned up at our place and absolutely leathered us and he was kind of stood on the sidelines not doing very much not responding not changing and then the whole Dimitrelli's situation whereby he can you know persistently plays him and he's made errors that have cost us as well but I would say on the whole as a as, as an analysis of his first season to date I think he's been excellent and I've really enjoyed the this style of play that he's tried to in, uh, implement, which I think is what appeals to the officials at the club the most, is that he's a guy who is willing to work in the director of football mould. He's not going to um, kick up too much of a fuss like Mancini did. He's not going to break ranks like Mancini did. And also he plays a certain style, which is the kind of football that the, the directors at the club want to see the club play. All right. This is uh, this is far too much Manchester City talk for the rank cast. Um, uh, how have, what have you made of Moyes' magnificent men uh, in his first season at Manchester United? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to be too harsh, but obviously it's been an unmitigated disaster, hasn't it? I mean, I don't think... I certainly didn't envisage that he would do this bad. It was always in the back of my head that maybe this guy isn't qualified for such a big job or, you know, I mean, no one's capable of filling uh, Ferguson's boots, but I certainly had the doubts that he would be able to. But no idea that it would be this bad. He just seems completely lost the majority of the time. Seems like he's got no ideas of how to change things when they're going wrong. He seems to have no plan of how he wants you to play. I mean, some of the tactics of have seen United play this year, the style and the tactics have just been 
so base form and you know it, it's not good enough really so I think that yeah United have obviously had uh, a pretty although last night's result was excellent and it was nice to see him enjoy it because like you know sort of I've said a few times on Twitter and I was saying to you before we started this interview although as a City fan I've obviously enjoyed watching United's fall because I feel it's been a long time coming and I certainly think your fan base needs it but at the same time I haven't enjoyed watching him suffer you know there's been time from the camera has cut to David Moyers on the sideline and you know he's aged considerably in such a short space of time and he just looks very ill and he doesn't look like he's been getting much sleep and whatnot so yeah I've not actually enjoyed that uh, I must admit but yeah on the whole, I mean, I'm sure you agree, Paul, that it's been a disaster, hasn't it, from, from pretty much from start to finish? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's yeah, there's there's really no other way to to spin it. The only other possible spin, I mean, the only other spin is that it was a disaster that absolutely needed to happen because the club was rotten to the core and needed a shake-up, not just a bit of a shake-up, but a complete and utter overhaul. And I basically think that's just a myth propagated by people that are desperate to see Moyes succeed and, and backed him really hard to start with and so are kind of justifying their position with that. And I just think it's it's crazy because, you know, last season you you're, you're got a lot of stick for sort of capitulating their title defence and United strolled to the title I thought that was a bit unfair, really. I thought in, in, in a lot of ways, United were just driven by Ferguson's determination and actually it would have been very difficult for you lot to overturn it. Did you think you were going to do better than you did last season or is it pretty much what you expected? No, I thought we'd do better, but there was definitely a feeling of um, after the Lord Mayor's show with us because obviously the way we won it, it was an incredible emotional way of winning it and then it just we never seemed to get going after that. But it... it you know, being sort of in my new job this year, I've sort of been able to speak to people at the club and whatnot and get a feel for what was going on last year. And it was just clear that Mancini's sort of autocratic style, which had worked initially, because uh, he came in and took over a, a sort of really disorganised um, group of players. And, and it worked at first, you know, he's shouting and he's demanding of this, that and the other. And it worked for two and a half years of constant progression. But then that final year they weren't listening anymore and I think everybody was fed up. So I think that, yeah, we should have done a lot better last year. And it's been quite funny, hasn't it? Watching, well, probably not for you, but watching the United fans who gave us so much stick, the worst title defence imaginable. Uh, And then obviously you've kind of gone and way, way outdone us on that front this time. Oh yeah, hilarious. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, I definitely do see the uh, the painful irony in that. All right, talking of painful, uh, the derby's coming up. Uh, you presumably full of confidence that you'll roll into Old Trafford. You, you going for a seven-one this time? Oh no! I mean, Paul, anyone, any City fan over a certain age is never confident. It's hardwired into us after years of abuse to expect to get beat. Believe me, the, there's no arrogance in the in the city supporting ranks even now that we've had a bit of success so I don't I'm certainly not expecting to go there on Tuesday next week and you know do the Poznan seven times or whatever you know image you've got in your head of what we're going to do I just I, I, I would take a, a scrappy one nil <laughs> right now 
um, I think I think you might be able to do a little bit better than that. Um, I, I don't know if you watched Liverpool against Manchester United. I did, I did. That game was pretty terrifying in terms of the, the City game coming up because because uh, you lot are quite a lot better than Liverpool, aren't you? I think when everyone's at their best, yeah, I think we're, I think we're quite a bit better than them. But I think they're well in form and we're not, so that does make a difference. I think, yeah, we're, we're better than them when we're going full throttle, but at the moment I don't think we are. Okay, so um, who have been your well, I was going to say who's been your best and worst players this season, but do Michaelis, lol. He's not as bad as everyone makes out, though, you know. There is a, yeah, there has been a real media and 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 our own fans, there's been a witch hunt and a scapegoating thing going on that has just made it absolutely absurd, the criticism that he's taken. Um, it's just one of those, he's not great, but he is what he is. I mean, we signed an old, slow player, uh, as a stopgap, and I don't know what people, you know, what the city fans were thinking. Obviously, the glaring errors like the foul on Messi and the foul on Fortune against Wigan, I can't defend him there. But in general, he's just he's been nowhere near as bad as people make out. So is he your Tom Cleverly? Is that what you're saying? I don't know about that, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah, he's probably been the worst though. You know, I'm not going to lie, he's probably been the worst. But I just think that it's been a bit over the top, really. The criticism and our fans don't help in that regard I think we've got a history of doing that where we I don't know whether this is the same at all clubs actually but there's certainly been a history of scapegoating certain players at City it's kind of like there's always at least one who is a, a vessel for you know channeling anger and he's undoubtedly been the one this season it definitely happens at United and and sometimes it's justified and sometimes less so um so people sometimes ask me uh, what, what player i'd most like to have from another premier league club at united and i always say yeah yeah Who, which manchester united player would you most like to have at city like fernandinho has been our best player this season by the way just to make that clear all oh, right yeah, yeah okay he's been our best performer but which united player would i like to have at city um poor Vidic of six years ago, please. <laughs> you, can't have, you can't have past glory Manchester United players. That's just cheating. Because the, Vid- uh, the Vidic of six years ago is exactly the player we need to go and play alongside Vincent Company. If we had the Vidic of six years ago, we would be instantly a, a much better side. But no, go on then. Taking it on sort of today's form. Um, it's tough, that, I must admit. Um Probably Welbeck. He's he's cute, isn't he? So I'll take I'll take I'll take Welbeck for for his uh, his adorable him. face rather than <laughs> uh, anything else. It's <laughs> outrageous. He's the, he's the one the one play you could have any of the rest of them, as far as I'm concerned. You know, I mean, Danny, uh, I may not speak for the official views of the Rankcast on this subject. Um, all right, Rob, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's been lovely to speak to you, and I look forward to your next series of disparaging questions about Manchester United in the future. Yeah, I've not I've not done them for a while, so I will I'll definitely get back on to doing that at some point because I know you like that, Paul. I love it. Uh, where can the good people of the internet find you? Well, I've actually changed my Twitter handle recently for one reason or another. So if you follow me at Rob Pollard underscore, that's where you can hear more nonsense of the type that you've just heard. 
brilliant uh, and and thanks very much for your time and and i would say good luck on tuesday but you don't need it and we do so uh, <laughs> there you go all right thanks rob yes the city game well could this be david moy's last game in charge uh, probably not uh, although city uh, eight wins in the last 10 games uh, they're in phenomenal form and i know they've slipped behind uh, in the Premier League title race, six points behind Chelsea as it stands, but with three games in hand, and they need to win. They need to win. So you know, I, so I suppose the pressure's on them a little bit, and the less pressure on United because there's uh, less at stake now. Uh, but God, it doesn't half frighten me that they could totally, totally batter us. Yeah, uh, the Liverpool game you'd think would be a huge wake-up call for all concerned. A repeat of that is going to be awful. Even with the the Olympiacos victory sort of fresh in the mind, it's very hard to generate optimism about the derby. I find it very hard to generate optimism about the derby because that game has so much more in common with the Liverpool game than it does uh, with the game against Olympiacos. I've no idea what formation Moyes will use. I'll know. I've no idea if he'll properly go three in the middle. Uh, it seems unlikely given his absolute. In fact, you know, when they when they write the Ballad of David Moyes, there's going to be two verses, and the first verse is going to be that he should never have got rid of Fergie's coaching staff because uh, it caused too much unsettlement, and the second is that he shouldn't have built his whole future around Wayne Rooney because he's backed himself into a corner, and, and games like this uh, against City are a, a classic example of how wrong that can go. The the only... If, if Van Persie is actually injured... And, and he plays Rooney as a number nine, maybe maybe that's going to be okay. But assuming that Rooney insists and Moyes insists on playing Rooney at number 10, how do you design a formation around Rooney at number 10, which is an effective counter to what City have got to offer? Well, Rooney will just uh, have to drop back into into midfield. Yeah, well, I mean, it all does hinge around Van Persie because if Van Persie is injured, it actually gives Moyes a little more flexibility to play with the midfield there and perhaps... Uh, pull matter inside um look I, I have to say i was i was highly impressed with city's performance at hull uh, losing a man so early and they were you know completely composed uh, didn't panic kept the ball very well scored a fantastic goal from david silva so they're, they're a very good squad they're a very good team they have the right uh, shape and the right tactics most of the time away from home it's been difficult for them and that's why they're not running away with the Premier League, which their squad suggests they probably should. They've got the individuals to win the game if it's if it's not quite working as a team. So um, on paper, they, they should be way too strong for United. Uh, and, and it matters much more to them as well. So, you know, that could result in too much pressure. I'm not sure, looking at that, uh, that the way they performed against Hull, that it will result in too much pressure. I think it will actually result in a performance from City. And, and that's what worries me, that it could be a nasty, very nasty result for United. And, you know, I don't want to sound all gushing about City because it's City, for God's sake, and and they've bought this with a billion pounds of petrochemical wealth, sovereign wealth, and there's nothing much to be proud of in that. But uh, they, they do a very good team. They're a very astute manager. Uh, given that he integrated four new players in the summer, I think... Uh, the, the bumps along the way have been less than they could have been. It's a transitional period for them as well, remember? You know, not everyone has a bad time in a transitional period and I'd expect them to come to Old Trafford and put on a very strong performance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it seems it seems the more likely turn of events, doesn't it? I mean, the only way it could work is United get an early goal. I think that's that's been key and I really think against Liverpool if we'd scored in the first 20 minutes when we were not exactly on top 
we sort of we sort of looked like we had something about us in that first twenty minutes. And I thought if we don't get a goal, it's almost it's almost to the minute. If we don't get a goal within that first twenty minutes, something's going to happen. We're going to let our heads drop because that's happened a lot this season. So if we can get a goal in in the first twenty minutes, if we can develop some sort of functional attacking unit, I would definitely play Welbeck. Not not just for what I was sort of saying earlier, but I think he's incredibly useful in a game like that. You know, because he serves a lot of functions. He, he's really effective on the counter-attack, but he also is really good at breaking up play, provides good cover for Evra. I mean, I'd, I wouldn't play Rooney at 10 in that game, whatever happened, but of course Moyes will. Um, and I guess some of it might depend on whether we can we can take the Olympiacos game spirit into West Ham and if we win that game, and maybe there'll be a bit of buoyancy around the place. But, you know, whilst actually I don't think that the gulf between the two squads is as anywhere near the points difference in fact uh, in terms of the quality of the first 11 that they can put out and, and indeed some of the rotation options the fact is City are just just way 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 better than us this season right we, we've we've been a dysfunctional shambles uh, they've been they've had their moments of sort of dodginess uh, Dean Michaelis lol um, but in general they, they, they are putting together a pretty effective season aren't they well, imagine they'd spent thirty million last summer on a on a top class central defender to go alongside Company, who really is a top class central defender, uh, and a massive strategic error there from City. And uh, really odd that they didn't go all the way uh, with the squad rebuilds. And, and it's it's kind of tied one hand behind Pellegrini's back most of the season. He's had to play Lescott or Di Michaelis at some point in almost every game, which is um, not good. Especially Di Michaelis, he's a uh, He's a complete joke, he always has been, and a very dodgy transfer in the first place, given that he moved on a free and then was flipped for four million a couple of weeks later. Uh, you know, really, really odd. Uh, but I suppose that's the one hope for United, you know, will one of them play? Uh, because there's a, there's a goal in there if, if we get enough of the ball, but the fact that City will play three in central midfield, and in fact the two wide players will probably, probably be able to tuck in, they're very good at transitioning from playing wide in an attacking sense to coming narrow and defending City and uh, it makes them you know, very strong defensively as, as well as scoring a lot of goals they've scored 25 more goals than United this season and that's why they're 12 points ahead of us with games in hand uh, and um, you know, it's a big big gulf but frankly the performances have, uh, have shown that big big gulf to be true and that's why they'll come into this derby massive favourites yeah absolutely as Moyes will no doubt point out in his pre-mass press conference uh, Brendan Rodgers saying he, he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't say that United were favourites coming to Anfield under any circumstances had, had a well, few digs at Moyes, Brendan Rodgers did mm. in that post-match press conference. But you know what? There's a massive difference between a manager saying it and a fan saying it, right? Yeah, so we of can course. Say on this, yeah, look, we can say on this podcast fairly objectively, uh, when Moyes does it, it looks like a lack of confidence. And uh, that lack of confidence in the dressing room will not go down well. Uh, I suspect, and uh, you know, you really want him as a manager to take charge and and uh, and to be leading. And if that means that p- people mock him for saying, uh, you know, we're going to give it a, a real go, good enough to beat City, uh, that's what we're going to do. And and comes out and is uh, a bit more ballsy about it. Uh, I think anyone would rather mock Moyes for. Uh, saying something like that if if we're mocking him for being unrealistic than for saying well maybe we're going to try to possibly you know if we don't offend anyone too much not let them beat us I mean one of the things that he's done all season long is insult champions 
You know, he's done it right from the beginning. He, he, that, that first press conference about the Champions League where he said, you know, we need four or five world-class players to win the Champions League and we've not got that. And, you know, he, he might have been right about that. But, but from the off, he has put United's players on the back foot. He's undermined them in public. You know, saying that Liverpool come to Old Trafford as favourites genuinely does undermine the squad. You know, it's 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 not an accurate reflection. It's 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 his Manchester United that are second favourites uh, in these games. Yeah, he was asked, uh, "Are Liverpool going to come to this this game as favourites?" The, the the right answer would be, "No one uh, comes to Old Trafford and the favourites apart from Manchester United." That's the right answer. Absolutely, it's really straightforward too. It's it's you know it is a very basic psychology, and his kind of minimising of expectations game has just become tiresome, and and kind of made a sort of a bit of a, a mental point of not forensically picking over the stuff Moyes says anymore because it's got boring, and I don't particularly want to just lay into him over and over again. Yeah, I, I have to say I got. I can't help myself uh, because he infuriates me with his negativity. Um, that's what I've, that's what I was going to go on to say. Like in, in having decided to do that, he he then says in his program notes, "Let the referee know if there's going if there's any time wise thing." And you just think, "What are you talking? Who do you think you're manager of?" You know, it's like, "Oh yeah, we're we're afraid of Olympiakos time wasting against us." Well, if you're five nil up in the first at the end of the first half because you've obliterated this team who are not a match for you. The time wasting is not going to be a problem, you know, and and actually it wasn't. It almost was for Olympiakos with uh, Fellaini sent on with a couple of minutes to go to hold the ball up in the corner. <laughs> yeah, well, quite. Um, but you know, it's, it's just that that kind of small timiness is is immensely frustrating, and it does make it difficult because because the kind of picking over it and the analysis of it is the only catharsis available. Right, because you just you you kind of you almost want the response. I'm not going crazy here. This is completely unacceptable for a Manchester United manager to be doing. I I, I kind of want to engage with the community and and hear pe- other people are also frustrated by this. And it's it's not just because I never wanted him to be the manager that I'm annoyed with the way he's talking about the club. Right. Well, anyway, we we should do the uh, the right thing and and come up with a couple of predictions before we leave for the week. Uh, another long podcast but there's been lots and lots to talk about so united at west ham on saturday saturday evening uh what do you think uh 2-0 united good on good on uh yeah i i think united will win this game and uh i'm gonna say 2-1 i think there's uh there's probably a goal uh, gonna happen somewhere there for west ham okay that seems reasonable then <laughs> i i uh i Pulls you back from the brink of the 3-0 prediction against Liverpool because I was so shocked to hear you predict a loss since you you never do it. But uh, I should have just left you to it because then you'd have got the right answer at least. I I can only dread what you're going to say next when I ask you what you think the Man City score is going to be. So so I don't think United will be as calamitous. And I I think, uh, I actually think given that they are favourites by some distance... Uh, that uh, United will be a little more cautious. So I'm going to say 2-1 to City. I, I have to say, I think City's quality and the fact that they need to win it more than United will tell in the end. Uh, yeah, I've got the old head heart. I'm just going to go with... The, I'm just going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, my honest assessment of this uh, rather than what I really desperately, desperately want to happen, which is some sort of performance. 5 nil to uh, United. No, I... I, I, I just... Uh, 
Four one city. There you go. An absolute, an absolute tonking. That's uh... oh, four oh, one. <laughs> you, you don't want to correct that. I'm not four one. You really, you're sure about that? That's your actual uh, prediction. <laughs> I'm not sure about it, but it's just, uh, it's just the the horrible feeling. Um, All right, four one, four one. Yeah, no. Well, uh, that four one might do it for Moyes. <laughs> I'm not. It's not me predicting that because I want that to happen because Moyes get the boot it's true there's, there's you sitting uh, in front of your telly on Wednesday night with your Olympiacos shirt on eating a Greek salad <laughs> I, I it's the result I've enjoyed the most this season I think uh, it, it was absolutely beautiful to see United come back and, and to see the Old Trafford just to see Old Trafford absolutely lit up with excitement and triumph again and it's on a very small scale because it's only Olympiacos and they were they they should have got through the balance of play in that game. They should have taken some of those chances, but it was just magnificent. It was just really good fun. So yeah, there's that's a, a cheerier note to end on than a prediction of an absolute drubbing at the hands of our local rivals. Mm, very good. Well, let's think about that cheerier note. And uh, in the meantime, between now and next week's podcast, you can get hold of us. Uh, we are on Twitter, so at UTD Rantcast for Paul. Uh, and uh, he also appears on Bleacher Report, writing a list about almost anything you can think of. Very good lists they are too. Uh, I haven't done a list for like three weeks now, but I've got one. I'm doing six things about the West Ham game, so the lists are back. Well, there, there you go. You were counting the number of weeks, so that was the <laughs> list. I'm at United Rant. Uh, we're also on Facebook forward slash United Rant. Uh, we're somewhere on Google Plus, but um, you'll only find us if you're a Google employee because. Those are the only people that use it. Uh, And uh, we'll play out with this.